0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond A Figures. Today, we have an amazing conversation for you. We're going to talk with Eleanor Beaton, the founder of Safi Media. Now, Eleanor has this amazing background as a business journalist, a branding strategist. She's been a columnist for Inc. Magazine, Atlantic Business Magazine. She's an OG when it comes to podcasts with her Power of Presence Position podcasts, which has been going on since 2014. I'm closing in on 100 episodes and I'm feeling really wobbly. She has over 500 episodes. The value of consistency there is amazing from her. And now looking at Safi Media, which helps women become entrepreneurs, better entrepreneurs, and go deeper into their own journeys, is really amazing. Today's conversation is going to be really worthwhile because we dive into what it means to sort of position yourself at different types of transition points. To drive your business further, she talks about the value of positioning your business as its own entity. Now, that sounds pretty straightforward. And I think we all say, well, of course, yeah, my business is X or so this. But very often, as an entrepreneur, we slip into business is me, I am the business. We slip into aligning our own self as the business. So by working on what it means for the business to be its own entity, It allows others to align themselves with it and sort of choose where they're going to come in. So it allows them to go deeper, allows ourselves to bring other people further in, and allows us to further develop our mission. Now, Elner will talk about the specific type of personal work she does, the journaling, the meditating the coaching and very specifically the type of coaching and the, what she needed and what she didn't need to get there. We'll also sort of talk about where that means as aligning with success and the future success, you know, how money being very important, but very much identifying what that Money allows you to do and where it takes you, and how it changes over different aspects of where you are in the journey from early on getting a business idea off the ground to all of a sudden having your first level of complexity where, oh my God, it's an ongoing business. And yet, how do I take it further? And consistently growing it by realigning towards your long term mission. Now, like I said, coming from me, it's sounding like a lot of woohoo. Listen to Eleanor and how she breaks the specific actions she took and how you can then steal that and look at your own businesses. I think it's very powerful. And I'll be sharing more about what I took away from this episode, because this is probably one of the most impactful conversations I've had in a while about giving me thought to where I can take my own business. So tell you what, rather than having me gush a little bit more about how amazing Eleanor is, why don't we go listen to the conversation? And you can find out for yourself. Everyone, Eleanor Beaton. Hello, Eleanor. Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
1: It's such a pleasure to be here.
0: No, I I am really, really happy. I've been going through so much of your stuff, listening to some of your podcasts. I'm just fascinated about the work you do, and I really can't wait to dive into it. But before we get too far into all the cool things you're doing. How do you see yourself as an entrepreneur these days? Where are you on your own entrepreneurial journey? Mm,
1: That's such a great question. I think that I am really at a stage that I would call the great decentralization.
0: I love it. Okay. No, no. I mean, that is a great phrase. Oh my God. Okay, cool. What is the great decentralization?
1: Well, so I'm an accidental entrepreneur in the sense that I really started because I had a message. I see myself first and foremost, or initially did as a creator, as a writer, as a producer of material and content that I was able to sort of monetize through learning programs and through keynote talks and through courses, all of that kind of thing. And that was great. But the challenge was that so much of the business went through me. And so initially, you know, the business was me, then I evolved as an entrepreneur and it became more about leverage. So take packaging up my IP, turning it into systems and processes that others could deliver, and I would say that was sort of my leverage stage. And I started to within the last year as the structures of that phase of the business became really strong, I began yet again to see their limitations, and the limitations were that while I had lots of leverage, The company still wasn't decentralized enough for me to not be a bottleneck in terms of things like strategic decision-making, in terms of things like even key parts of delivery where I was still, there's still parts of the business where I was still sort of a core part of the delivery of the fulfillment of the offer. And that requires a different type of structure, I found. And so that's really where I'm at. And it's incredibly challenging to see the places where you're still a linchpin, you know, you're still a core decision maker and you're trying to figure out how do I make sure that the team is equipped to be able to do this in my stead? How do I identify the places where I really belong and really make an impact? Because I've tried to pull back too much in places and that's not helpful either. So that's, I, say, I would say, where I'm at in my journey now.
0: There's so much, I mean, I think a lot of times people listen and they're like, oh yeah, I started, you know, putting systems in process and people are like, oh, that's nice. And it's like, no, it isn't. It is this process that one, it is the evaluation of your own ego and sort of this, you know, moving yourself out of it. And I've had so much difficulty in my own past, but two, it's the things you just get so used to doing, the muscle memory, the repetitions to then have it be a system is so much work, especially to have it running smoothly, that just hats off because that is so much work in time and consistency of message. Yeah. You know, consistency of this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing this. And okay, that's nice, but this is what we're doing.
1: You know what? You're so right. Like it's interesting. I started to notice that at the end of the day, I was super dehydrated. And I realized, oh, it's because I am doing so much communication. So much communication. This is what we're doing. This is why. This is where we're going. This is the transformation we're trying to make. You know, this is where it's challenging. So you're just there's like the this massive communication around the parallel journey of where the company is going, and that's a very much internal kind of conversation as well. Sometimes as with your customers and clients.
0: Let's dive in because this I think not to keep going meta on you, but this is also something where a lot of types of people hear like, oh, communication, and then it's like, well, how? So when you're talking about all this communication you're doing, are you doing team meetings, are these looms, are these writings? What are some of the ways that you're spending all this time communicating so you can create this consistency and develop out?
1: One of the big challenges in decentralizing, you know, in in, this, in my particular phase of my entrepreneurial journey is... You're moving from a place where you're not just asking people to implement your vision or implement your strategies. I'm actually asking new people in many ways to be in charge of profit and loss. And I can remember like when I was a coach, you know, back in the day, I used to coach a lot of women executives. And the key thing I would always say is you need to get into an operational role where you have a P&L, you're responsible for it. Because that's what really, like, you can tell the difference between somebody who has had that kind of responsibility and somebody who doesn't. There's a grittiness and it's where everything comes together to make the business work. And true decentralization happens when the entrepreneur is no longer the only person who has responsibility for the P&L. So that's what we've I've been trying to implement. That's not easy to do. And as you know, in an entrepreneurial company, like, 12-month plans don't really work because it's so we all love we would love for them but that's the big secret they don't work like we're we're so dynamic so we implemented scrum And Scrum is what's, it's like a a style of project management. Yeah, it's typically used in tech. And so that was really helpful and it shifted how we communicated. So we have the Scrum teams, they meet daily. So we have two different Scrum teams, they meet every single day to go through where they're at with respect to the project. We have two 20-minute team meetings per week. And, you know, I'm definitely on the two team meetings. I'm on some of the Scrum meetings. And at each of those, like my role is to continue to talk about, and it will be things like, hey, remember where we're going. Remember where we're going here. Remember that this links into this project so that the team may be in the details, but I'm constantly talking about how that connects to the larger vision. So that are, those are a couple of practical ways in which I'm doing a lot of communicating.
0: Agile, scrum structure, you know, the coaching, you know, so that bottom-up type of approach, that's a whole deep, deep dive. It's fascinating. And it's so often I see people implement parts of it and they get frustrated because it gets wonky or things drop through. And once again, it's a very simple process that needs consistency and structure to be able to succeed kind of get there. But even first, one of the things really caught me off guard because I was like, oh my God, you're right. So often people, either in the corporate world or as an entrepreneur, is in pushing yourself to control a p and or to develop a PL. l Yet, I know I had my own weaknesses and I talk with so many entrepreneurs who are in this, what I call this first big, great transition, that one million to like two and a half million worlds. And it's like, yay, we have a business. Wait, it's more complex? You think it's going to be like the best thing? No you know, you have money now. Yay. But all of a sudden it's like, there are so many more moving parts. I got very lucky. I remember in the company, the last company that I sold because I had two people and then a third person sort of joined them that pushed and almost demanded from me p and responsibility. So I was like, oh God, thank you. But I know I've always found it hard to encourage employees to take that on. And I'm talking to a lot of entrepreneurs that are like, I want people to take an arm, but I don't want to tell them, how do you help people sort of develop that type of ownership amongst their team? Because that's a huge thing that I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with.
1: You know, I think that one of the core things has actually been to Develop a relationship with the spirit of your business itself. And a lot of my thinking around this has actually been informed by a woman named Hiro Boga. So if you're interested in what I'm saying, you can go check out her work. She's fascinating. But it's this idea that I think for many entrepreneurs, and this is not new, we understand that very often we'll we'll think about the business as our baby. But the reality is, I don't think we actually think about the business as our baby. I think we think about the business as ourselves. So who we are is very much embedded with the business itself. And when that is fused so tightly together, there's no room for others to truly bring their gifts independently. And so they just become, it becomes like this Henry Ford style management, which is like there's a superior leader (laughs) and then there's a bunch of doers. And then Peter Drucker came around And Andy Grove from Intel, who really started to see that when you're working with knowledge workers, which I think so many of your listeners are, that there has to be space for them to bring their genius and to feel a sense of agency in the growth of the company. But when the company is you, it's very disconcerting. And I was really feeling that. And I realized that in order to take my company to the next level, it wasn't simply about systems and processes. It was about my ability to truly trust people. And a part of that meant that I had to separate myself from the business and I had to start developing a relationship with the spirit of the business itself. And this sounds crazy, but bear with me. Like anything that people create, so a creation, whether it's a book, a piece of music, a movie, it's created and then it has its own energy and spirit that is separate from the person who created it. And businesses are the same, and I think so often we don't think about them as what they are, which is a living breathing organism, you know? And so for me, I had to first develop a relationship with the business that was separate from myself. I had to be able to really see both, see how we worked together and then ask my team to develop a relationship with this business as well that was separate from their relationship with me. So this was like a, honestly, this was like a six month process because without it, I just felt like it was like a series of rather empty and transactional systems and processes versus something that was a true ecosystem, which is what I think a healthy business is.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because it ties back very much to what I've seen a lot on the show and in going seeing your material, I think you promote very much with your clients is this development of this mission led piece. But I think so often, I know in my past, before I started speaking to so many amazing entrepreneurs like yourself, that I always felt like developing mission was this like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it exists. You know, there's a few people doing it really well, but most of the time it's something on paper. It's this thing that you're pitched, you're sold to kind of do these mission statements and you have this thing. And then they just kind of sit in binders. How many companies people work for that it's like, okay, and this has anything to do with my daily life. But I like how you talked about it's a six month process because you have to walk into it. You have to sort of incrementally sort of engage in it. And you took it back even further back into what is your relationship to the company because if you can't even have that relationship you can't even engage that with what the m- potential mission is so wow i like that very much and that's a great way to think about it you know for other people
1: it's like it's a little bit so i got married to my husband we've been married for like 20 years so we were young when we got married but i can remember getting married as a very young person there was a period Early in the marriage, where we just kind of became one person, and I think this can be this is very common in partnerships and in couples that you become like one person. You do everything together. You don't really have boundaries necessarily. If they're mad, you're mad. If everybody has, you know, like you can, you're not these two individual people. And so, it, you know, I think a, a foundation of evolving relationships is that you understand that a true partnership is based on differentiation and sovereignty, that each partner has to be their own person. And that's how a true partnership works, right? So I can remember going through that and the challenging process of going through that. And I believe that the same is true in business, that you create this entity And initially it's like giving birth. It's part of you. It's grows inside you. It's a part of who you are, but to really allow the business to become what it's capable of becoming, you have to begin that process of differentiation. Who am I and what do I want and who is my business and what does it want and how do I actually partner with it? And I think that that for me has been a powerful lens through which to look at the development of the business.
0: That is powerful because, no, I fully agree with your earlier statement. So often, you know, the business is us. We are the business. Because I know with my last business, that was definitely something I would be asked, how are you doing? And I'd be talking about the company. (laughs) It'd be like, it's like, so how are you feeling? Well, you know, we had a really good quarter, you know, we closed a couple of things, but all right, someone left. I'm like, okay, wait, that's so yeah, coming in and just that talk about when you're trying to engage an audience, how to develop your avatar, how to develop, yeah, you know, how to make it more living. Any good storytelling is like, well, who's your audience? So it's a great concept because the more you make the business its own self, the more it can actually create its own values, its own stuff and not be beholden thing. So moving towards the great decentralization. And we don't even have a, you know, a token in sight or an AI generator in sight, which was where I first thought you were going way, way back in the point. But wow, you know, that is really cool. And those are like three. All right. I'm definitely going to play around. Like, how do you identify the company as its own, not self? Because I think too often that also happens, you know, and when we look at society too much with businesses being individual or personalities versus. Values, but yeah, how to make it its own entity. I mean, once again, sounds simple in the telling and in the day to day movement of trying to get everything done. Very, very complex and a very, you know, a lot of work because of the consistency and that value you have to add into it. That's great. Since you just gave us some things that we can all look at and that you suggest that you went through, what is it you're working on? nowadays for yourself to become a better entrepreneur or to be the best entrepreneur you think you can be?
1: Oh, yeah. Sometimes I feel like, what aren't I working on (laughs) to be you know, this is interesting. I think one of the big things that I've been really working on myself to be a better entrepreneur is so if it gets back to this idea of mission. So our whole business exists to advance a mission and and the big sort the vision really is to advance a model of economic growth that nourishes the planet one woman-owned business at a time. And it's this idea that for so long economic development and economic growth has actually been very much linked to a lack of sustainability and that's what we really believe that small businesses are a, a powerful microcosm to prove that you can have both and so everything that we do is reverse engineered from that mission and that vision the interesting thing is that you know as an entrepreneur like you can have this massive vision and mission but you are a human being and your team is a human being and you are limited by very finite resources, including space and time. Like, you know, you've got to sleep. Like there's just, that's the constant, that's a constant challenge. So what the, the mission in order to fulfill the vision or the mission of the business that requires a degree of complexity, but what the business itself needs to function optimally is simplicity and containment. And so There was a a big period of time in which we were practiced immense discipline around only having two product lines, two things that we sold, really being very clear and loyal and dedicated and devoted to every aspect of the customer experience along those two product lines, around every innovation around those two product lines, just really having that part of the business shored up clean and clear. And that was great. And then I started to feel this odds, like as an entrepreneur, I went through a bit of a dark night of the soul in the sense that I was like, okay, this is great. We're making money. Things are optimized and I'm bored. Like I can't really see, <laughs> I'm bored and I can't really see like where to go next. So I did a lot of uh, personal work, for instance, like with a coach and a lot of meditation And what I realized is that my sort of discipline and devotion to that containment had meant that I hadn't actually been allowing myself to tap into the fullness of my vision. And what it actually was. And, and in truth, in order to create the kind of change that we want to create, we know that we can't possibly do it working exclusively with women entrepreneurs. Because women entrepreneurs exist inside an ecosystem that includes the global financial system, that includes venture capital, that includes policies, that includes taxation structures, you know, all of this. So that's where I realized okay, it's time to reintroduce a degree of complexity as we actually build out the next arm of our company, which is called Safi Insights. And that's where we, really, the last 18 months, we started rebuilding this part of the business, which is really about this is where we work with governments with corporations, like what we would call the ecosystem that surrounds women entrepreneurs. So from my perspective, what I needed to do there was the, um, the sort of personal development work to reconnect to the breadth of my vision. And I had to also really work on improving my, so that was like vision work and being very clear about what the vision is. And then the second part of that was actually really learning how to be a more effective manager, because really strong managers are able to organize team activity toward very clear outcomes. And it's, you know, like there's devastating research from organizations like Gallup. That show just about one in ten managers actually have the skill to be able to do it. And I know entrepreneurs are supposed to be visionaries, but I'm like, you know, I I don't buy that. Like, I think that as entrepreneurs, we must understand how to manage. I just personally believe that. Otherwise, I think you're a bit of a sitting duck.
0: That very much resonated with me because I've had this time where I finding a really big vision, here's where we're going to go, or here's where I want to go. That I think a lot of people can understand. And I think also that first, first, you know, it could be the first quarter, the first year, that first sort of trench, you know, from launch to product, you know, to whatever it is to get to that piece. But then I struggled here. And then all of a sudden, when I came out of it, and, you know, was on the other side after selling was like, oh, other people, t-. it's that like, oh, I don't have the skills. I reached them first, like I need to do these to go towards this, but I only got here and I didn't reengage with where I needed to be as a person. And then, at, you know, very much as I like how you say it, the manager, that re that repositioning to them, you know, a to go back up. Because people say, oh, set your tenure, set your five, and just work towards it. It's like, it's not a linear line, folks.
1: No. And you're organizing exactly. Like, I'm a little obsessed with it. Like, I'm a little obsessed with that skill set because I think it's such a, it's such a, like, when you can combine entrepreneurial vision and strategic thinking With the, with true management expertise, you know, I used to be a business journalist back in the day and my specialty was like writing profiles and, and writing like behind the scenes stories of, I'm based in Canada, like some of the country's top performing business leaders and entrepreneurs. And always, you know, when you found, and they weren't as common as you might think, but when you found those visionary entrepreneurs who had actual management skill, they're not the loudest ones right? Because the pure visionaries are able to, they have something that is, they're really able to get people involved and engaged in the vision. But when it's backed up by really solid management ability and execution ability, um, the businesses that they created, they were just these quiet powerhouses. And I admired it so much. And I mean, I definitely think it's one of the biggest challenges personally is developing that skill set? I mean, if you don't have it, it's even hard to hire for it. Like, how would you know if the person is a decent operator? Like, how would you be able to evaluate that if you don't understand anything about it yourself?
0: It's funny because I've been, this is another conversation of like, yeah, everyone's like, oh, what's the EOS? It's visionary and an integrator, every type of process. Like you you have basically the talker and the doer type of breakdown. And I know for myself, I went from having a career as the doer to like transitioning into the talker and now I can't do anything. I'm useless. But yeah, it's so hard because I hear again and again, the stories of how do I find this person? i looked, I hired this person that, you know, and I think your discussion of, and I like this because too often we Think of them as separate. You did a lot of personal work to understand where you were in that transition. Now, I don't know if you brought in, you know, an integrator and operations, but whatever, but at the same time to make it more structured, it's not i don't even say it's not just the ego that we have to be the linchpin, but I do think it's the understanding of why we have it, because it is so hard to remove yourself, not just because you have to be the best, but sometimes you have to feel you're worthwhile. I know one really successful, uh, he has a SaaS company. If I say too much, he'll send me a bad tweet, but um, he's at this level, successful, bootstrapped, 75% margins, growing at that nice level and has all of a sudden hit where he's making more money than he ever thought he could possibly in his life. And yet, he's on something that could potentially be so much bigger, but because he doesn't want to be, you know, that's so embedded into everything. He doesn't want to feel like he can ask someone else to do it. You know, and it is that kind of mindset because he's not, you know, that's an opposite side than a lot of other people who are so I have to be that person. But it is that like, working on yourself is such.
1: Well, and it's also like when I was a kid, I would play this game and the game was, who would you take? Like, who would be on your team if if a zombie apocalypse happened? You know, who would be on your team? And what your friend is going through is a little bit like that. Like who, (laughs) you know, it's not just like these little chores. It's who can you actually rely on who has the skill set, the capacity, the dedication to really be able to bring this stuff together? And those people are rare. It's a, it is a difficult. It's such a prized skill set, but it's rare.
0: And I think it's also just that other thing where he won't feel embarrassed about his level because, without going too far into it, I think there may be where, yeah, you know, he has this puppy that poops gold from an old old VC joke, and yet he's embarrassed about his. I believe this is me going into it, you know, and it's like, no, oh, you have this. And, you know, it's so often, you know, entrepreneurs have this thing where it's like, well, you know, I'm not perfect, so therefore I can't expect anyone else to be. And it's like, oh, if it's not too private, what are, were the things you did to work on yourself for specifically that transition? You know, what, you, know, you talked about meditation, you talked about journaling. Was there any structure to it?
1: Yes. Okay. So, um, and and to that point, you know, with this um, entrepreneur whose unsanctioned story we're (laughs) we're discussing, because in some ways he's all of us. A little bit, like without the not, not necessarily with the puppy part, like, but you know, to a degree, he's kind of all of us, and so I see myself, like I see the vulnerability where you've created this thing, and when you bring somebody in, a good operator who knows what they're doing, there's a big part of the entrepreneur who's like, "Is this good enough?" You know, like, and when they see underneath the hood, it's like all the places where you just you're doing the best you can, you know, and so I, I think that that story is all of us, so. From my perspective, um, here's what happened. I really went through this phase where I had this feeling that I was subconsciously kind of blocking the fullness of the success I thought that I was capable of experiencing. And the ways that it would come up would be sometimes I would feel irritated when um, customers or clients completed their work with us. Sometimes I would feel unnecessarily triggered by competition. And I just, you know, so there would be things that would happen over the course of a week that would make me feel small and annoyed. And I was like, this doesn't make sense, you know? And so I would be in that vibe and then it would make me feel vulnerable and defensive. And I was like, that's just not a place. I just know that that's not a place to grow from. And it felt unsustainable. So that was like how it started, you know? That's what I was feeling. And I just had the feeling that this was actually impeding my ability to be the kind of leader that could create the kind of results that I wanted to create and finding a place to work on that. So what I was left with was I don't, you know, I have to be able to work with somebody who understands that I have a substantial business and team, that it's not just straight up woo. I don't need more coaching, actually. I don't need to kind of, that's, that's actually not what I need. This is something deeper. And it felt like it was at the level of like an energetic level or almost at a soul level. So at that point, that's where I really started looking for, you know, somebody who could support me at that level. And that's where I encountered, you know, Hiro Boga, who's a great teacher and writer. And I really, you know, was like, okay, this is it. This is helpful. So that's where I went through that process. And I think, you know, phase one actually was really about understanding the power of wholeness. So, You know, you grow up, you have these different experiences and what happens for most high functioning, high performing people is that we take the best of who we are and we roll with that and we just try to ignore the quote unquote worst of who we are. So the person who feels a little vulnerable if if customers or clients leave which is a very normal thing, by the way, (laughs) you know, who feels a little triggered by your competitor and seeing competitors, even if you're very proud of your work, will sometimes make you feel a little bit less than, you know, all these things that even feel super vulnerable to, you know, to talk about right now. But what was happening is I was just kind of like, oh, forget about that stuff. Let's change the thought But what I realized is that there were aspects of who I was, who I needed to just kind of talk to, you know, like that person who felt like I had to be the number one undisputed best. That was like a 12-year-old girl who, you know, won her cross-country race and her dad was like, oh, did you beat the boys? (laughs) Just a teasing, a teasing offhand remark, but that was the person who was sort of running the show. And so what happens is you're trying to fulfill this extraordinary mission with like, if you imagine, because I think, you know, we are not just one self, but a community of selves. Like the person we are today represents a number of different iterations of who we've been. And those people don't just go away. They're there. And they can be loud and noisy. And I think when you think about it, that's what, you know, I started to realize, oh, of course, like that, that's where these things are coming from. Because intellectually, I would understand, look, it's healthy to have competitors And this is a great saying. Why is this irritating me so much? So I think that first phase was really wholeness. And what that allowed was for me to no longer feel like I had to deny certain aspects or or ignore certain parts of who I was, but I could actually bring my whole self. And that immediately increased as I worked. Well, I say immediately, but this happened over a period of time. Once I really understood what this meant on a deep level, what happened was I had access to a lot more power. I had access to a lot more presence. I had access to a lot more, like I was, I was working at full strength and stuff just didn't bother me. So I just didn't get distracted. That was one major milestone in that personal work.
0: I like that. I think for me, those moments, not that I've done anything as powerful as sort of the amount of awareness work you did. But for me, it's sort of like all of a sudden something that has felt complicated or eh, to go after or to work on or you know develop and go through all of a sudden just seems okay, that's fine. I can do this. And you know, for me, those are those moments where the type of efforts, you know, or directionally those types of efforts for me have led to like, why did I find this so crazy? All of a sudden now it's Yeah, that is really a great thing. You jokingly said, you know, that movement towards creating businesses itself. We've talked about the different things you do to kind of work on your own capabilities to then create this consistent message and create this great decentralization. What do you look at to define your success as an entrepreneur separate from the coaching, from the podcast, you know, from all this amazing business you're working on?
1: Oh, yeah. So I think the number one thing that I use to measure my success as an entrepreneur is the degree to which I am fulfilling my purpose, my personal purpose, which I think is really to transform the culture of business and economic growth in a way that is actually sustainable. You know, like just take a look at the news we have even just things like looking at climate change, you know, the types of weather anomalies that we're seeing. And my mother is from the Fiji Islands in the South Pacific. And, you know, what's happening, it's countries that are on the ocean at sea level, like we're seeing, we're in the process of a a major shift. You know, the World Wildlife Fund says that they are predicting catastrophic extinctions, you know? And so I have hope that we can use economic growth and business to be able to align personal interest with planetary interest. They've been kind of more at loggerheads so far. That's my personal mission. And so I measure my success in this way Am I creating practical pathways to accomplish a very big? A deep personal mission That's like really how I look at that. and what am I learning? Am I cultivating quality relationships and conversations that are enriching? So that's honestly like how, in addition to, am I making money? You know, or do I have a great team? Do they feel like they belong? Are they well compensated? Those are also things that I look at in terms of developing like how I measure my own success.
0: I think those are very important because it is, and I've seen and experienced, there is a certain point where, yes, you want more money, but the relative difference, or incremental difference of the day-to-day effort to the day-to-day reward it's kind of irrelevant once you hit a certain point. Yes, there may be like, okay, if I go down the road, yes, there's a private jet, but being able to travel and live well has always been something that's very important to me. But taking it from, okay, I can do that to the X degree of that, you know, that never really.
1: Like I have a friend, she's banking about 2 million a month personally. She's just like, literally, that's what she's doing. And And she loves it because that's a part, you know, I can't help but think that there's a part of what her mission is, which is really around this deep knowledge of how money flows and how it works. But she loves that and is massively motivated by that. And the interesting thing is, like, for me, once I hit this certain threshold of well-being, I look, I love money. Don't get me wrong. I love making money. I love growing business. But it just that wasn't actually It no longer mattered as much as it did before I hit that threshold.
0: I think for many of us, it then becomes a question of the fuel. Money changes into a concept of what can it allow you to do? And as you talk about, you know, having this deeper sense is more alignment to who you are. Then allows you, you know, once again, to push further into the great decentralization. Because, while it seems so logical and seems so common sense, it is hard, and it's it's kind of like I know my experience. There was so much going through different transitions in my previous business career. I was just like it's good enough. And without that further guidance, this further, I want to achieve that that you have. I think so much, so many of us get to that kind of like, and it doesn't always, you know, it may be just a couple of days, but that like, okay, you're right. All right. But, oh yes. Where's the North Star? I mean, there's North Star, you know, there are so many different efforts, structures, etc., have their concept of like, okay, define this and use that. And the reason it's so important is there's so often you're just like, oh, it's good or I'm okay. By having that deeper alignment, you can push yourself to go. Okay, yes, I will do the X more of these calls. I'll make three more calls. I'll have one more conversation. I'll re-edit this document. The re-editing of content. You know, it's amazing just like how difficult it can be, and yet how powerful sometimes—not always, but sometimes—that just incremental. I'll do it. I'll do it. If you do, gets just directionally correct towards that bigger goal that you're talking about, I love that. I mean, I love that you're doing that because it really does hit so much of what a typical journey struggle, we get something, we get lost, we get, yeah. and then that way of transition continuing. Do you give yourself in these type of goals? Do you create structure to these goals or are they sort of these qualitative? visionary goals, do you have specifics that you set yourself on them? You know, the smart that we have KPIs, we can OKR structures, <laughs> we can go down another rabbit hole.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I do have a director of operations who um, is really encouraging me to be more specific with, particularly with team members around OKRs. Like for me, I can work toward a vision you know what I mean? Like quite effectively it's there. And one of the things that I have really had to learn is that, that others may require more specificity around it to make it real, you know, for them. So working on uh, sort of OKRs from a team perspective, that's an area of growth for us. And I think that's related to that decentralization where I can set the priority and they, rather than handing down the OKRs, and of course the classic OKRs that the person is co-creation with management. So working on that. What I have noticed, but personally, no, I do not have OKRs. What I do, the way that I look at it is I think about it in terms of a clear intention and a practical project. And so, you know, so here's an example. Let's say that I am looking at really creating a new product line. And that new product line, you know, that fulfills part of my vision. So I'm going to create a product or product line, i.e. a practical project. And so I might say I'm going to create this product line and it's going to generate a million in revenue in its first year. One of the things that I noticed is that that actually felt more like a limit than an invitation. So now what I will tend to do is try to be specific but create invitations rather than finite limits like what happens if it's a lot more than a million because whatever you set it at that's where you set it i tend to what i have been working in on for myself personally is how does the idea of invitation fit into goal setting and intention i don't know the energy around it is a lot different and it feels more vast in a good way
0: i like that because yeah we sit there and then we're always like, okay, the catch is you create a hag, or, you know, once again, another, you know, like everyone has their own, but I think alignment more with being true to yourself is that direction, that intention. Yes. Yeah. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law, discu- you know, type of discussion. It's like, yes, I did it. But that wasn't really what, you know, I, I did it, but yeah, versus, oh yeah, you know, I'm either on the scale of achieving what I want to with this type of practical traction of, you know, that effort kind of directionally, the way I know I'm correct is because of X, Y, and Z dollars, whatever the the, the metric of, you know, choice usually since we're, you're Canadian, you have dollars too. So, uh, but monetary value does tend to be one of the key ones, but
1: It's so interesting, this conversation, you know, like I was thinking about how it's such a quintessentially geeky conversation for entrepreneurs. Like, yeah, I remember hearing that, you know, I can't remember who said this, but he said there's entrepreneurs and civilians. Most of the entrepreneurs that I know after certain phase in your development, you are obsessed With what is effective planning? What is the nature of effective planning? What's the nature of directing group effort and action? How does one accomplish outcomes? Like it's something we're all obsessed with because it is an art as well as a science. It's constantly, you know, you have these ideas on how to do it that must constantly be battling the real world. It's riveting.
0: I think there's always this joke beginning practitioner goes to a master and asks, How do you? Become a master? How do you become enlightened? Whatever your decision of mastery. And it's like, chop wood, carry water. Okay. You know, and then once you become the master, what do you do? Well, chop wood and carry. I think for especially professional, you know, structured profession, lawyers, doctors, XYZ, there is continued learning and there is deeper understanding and there is sort of familiarity and that development of your understanding of what is possible within it. But at the end of the day, you start with that beginning structure with an entrepreneur, it is really, you have no beginning point. All you have is this, maybe this ability to create things. you know, to create what you wish to see in the world and the various collections of X, Y, Z gives it to the nth degree skills that are required to do so. And it is that pursuit thereof of like, well, maybe I am this type of, this is why we have so many different types of entrepreneurial efforts, models, journeys, because it's all just, you know, how do we make something exist that didn't exist? there. What levers do we pull? What efforts, time, money, and our own blood, sweat, and tears into that equation? Wow, that's a great way of thinking about it.
1: And it's fun to be able to engage your team in it. You know, like I didn't always have a team I could work with in this way, but You know, I try to be transparent with them because for many entrepreneurs, they don't like it takes a company a long time to have a very, very set way that they manage projects. And especially as you bring in new people, you know, we have a lot of transparent conversations about, look, we are figuring out the most effective way for us to work together. And what's amazing is what incredible results you can create while you're figuring out how to work together. I mean, it's like a, it's just a continuously evolving process. I think that is just I've really learned it is, to your point, it's not a set thing. I think it's an evolution, a continuous evolution.
0: Reverse engineering, what you've just said, it's like, OK, everyone, look, you're at this transition point you're at. And usually in a lot of business models, it is that first kind of serious brush with seven figures, give or take. Different business models bring you different ways and you have different cost structures and and all that, but still that's where the complexity starts. So understanding first where you are in that journey, understanding where you are personally in that journey, being able to then work on articulating what needs to get done, then I'm going to write out and sort of this reverse engineer of what you've said. Because that is so powerful, you went on this amazing journey, you took in so much, you put in so much effort, and it does allow you to achieve more towards your direction. That type of effort cannot be copied, but it can be stolen, as I always joke, and reinterpreted to the individual entrepreneur's effort. Where are you at this point? What are the things? Who do you have? And the understanding that it isn't all at once. You don't just bring in your operating person. You don't just do it. You may get lucky. There are those people that do that where they are in a similar point on their journey to match with yours. Terrific. But it is this process of integrating along with where that entity of the business is. Everyone in the audience, I will share this because this is really. I love, and I may have been diving through some of your other material, so I mm-hmm. am taking out some other things that you have said along the way and kind of letting that inform sort of how impressed I am with the way you articulated because it is something that is so simple to articulate, but so hard to replicate. This Process as an entrepreneur. It is something that you know, I've hit my head against and I've gotten lucky a couple of times to kind of go through it, but not on my own. You know, I always say it was sort of like I got surge in the moment and I just surfed it. I got very lucky. And, oh, wait, we're here now. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> I got past that. But Eleanor, you, know, you talk about this and so much, so much more on your podcast. Would you just you know, share a little bit about your podcast so the audience can also go check that out too?
1: Yeah, thank you. My show is called Power Presence Position, and it's primarily focused on for women entrepreneurs where we have conversations and explorations and very practical episodes that really, I think, kind of address some of the big growth challenges that entrepreneurs may be facing on their pathway. So that's the show, Power Presence Position. I just Produced episode 523.
0: <laughs> like, I know, I was so impressed.
1: We haven't talked about consistency, but I am OG, literally.
0: I saw that actually. I was looking at, I'm coming up on my 100th, and we're talking about like how can we can make it deeper and how to better position it. And I saw that, and I was like, 2014. And then I was like, oh my God. If I, and, you yeah, you're so long into this. And then I was looking, it was like, oh, you're still on a weekly cadence. And then I saw the total number. I was like, shite. <laughs> I have a long way to go here. Yeah,
1: that's, <laughs> well, it's interesting because it gives you, it's that depth, you know what I mean, of like really just kind of getting into the topic. And and that's the thing. It's got to be a topic that you love. And I think for so many of us as entrepreneurs, it's not just the business itself. I think we're a little obsessed with the learnings and who we become in the process of building these businesses. And I think, you know, when you were talking about it, it seems simple to do, but it's actually impossible to replicate because we all do it in our own way. That's part of the loneliness, the challenge, and ultimately the why it's such a powerful personal development pathway for us to take. So, yeah.
0: Everyone, we will make sure we have links to her podcast and show notes on our social media. How else can people reach out? How can they learn about coaching, about everything else? What's the best place?
1: So the best place is to go to safimedia.co, and that's S-A-F-I-Media.co. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. I'm Eleanor Beaton.
0: Great. Well, once again, everything, it's all the show notes. But no, Eleanor, thank you. You've given me personally so much to think about and how to reinterpret and sort of reposition things that I've been sort of bouncing my head against. So thank you very much on it. And I know that the audience will take much from this. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope to get you back on because this was a great, great conversation.
1: It's my pleasure.